Community Matters. Now, one hour. Powered by Lakeview Ford Lincoln. Dickman at Washington in downtown Battle Creek and shoplakeviewford.com. Here we are, back with another Community Matters. You hear us Saturdays on 95.3 WBCK and anytime at battlecreekpodcast.com. And we're made possible by Lakeview Ford Lincoln. Richard Pyatt here. We checked in from time to time with the Calhoun County Land Bank. And so it seemed like an opportunity now with, you know, housing things being discussed more often around Calhoun County these days to check in with Krista Trout Edwards from the Calhoun County Land Bank for an update on, you know, what you've been up to over the last four or five years since we talked last. Hi, Krista. Good morning. How are you doing today? Doing so well. Thanks very much for this opportunity. Some folks just might not know what the Calhoun County Land Bank is. What do you do? Take a a piece of land and go make a deposit or withdraw? How does that work? Kind of, but you explain it. (laughs) Absolutely. We are not a bank. Uh, What we deal with are vacant and abandoned properties. And we basically served as a repository for vacant and abandoned properties that had gone through the tax foreclosure process, but Mm -hmm. did not sell at auction. We're a separate legal authority from the county. We have our own board of directors. And we really um, formed and, and started to take on our own entity around the NSP2 grant in 2011-12. That's when we really started doing work with blight elimination and rehabilitation of structures and and, and really got going in the community. Right. If, if you think about what happens to a community in these kinds of situations when properties fall off the tax rolls, now and there's no property tax being collected on a, a property such as these there is a collective interest in trying to turn that around. Is that a fair way to describe that? Absolutely. And what we try and do is repurpose the properties to get them back on the tax roll. A lot of the properties that come to us do have challenges. Some have opportunities, some have challenges. Um, When they are going through that tax foreclosure process, if there's not an owner that's there taking care of them, they can have some deferred maintenance costs. Um, If they're a post-industrial site or a commercial site, they can have bigger deferred maintenance costs or some environmental concerns. And so we really try and triage those sites and find funding or partnerships to get them back up to where they can be used again. Or if they do need demolition, then, you know, that's the route they need to go. And for a long time, that was the funding that was available at the state Uh, level. Um, And land banks weren't traditionally funded to do lots of the other things. Um, That's changed recently, but just very recently. Well, I think the the problem was uh, uh, maybe a little bit different. You probably can describe that better than I. But my perception is there were derelict properties out there that were beyond repair. And so the problem was more of demolition of those properties than it might have been rehabbing. And maybe that's a different kind of scenario now. Is that true? Absolutely. The properties that were coming through the text are foreclosure process and ending up in our inventory were urban mined, which means that they didn't have their mechanical and electrical and plumbing systems in them. There were a lot of structural concerns and there, there wasn't that funding there to do those rehabilitations. So there was funding for demolition um, and the housing at the time wasn't as needed as it is today. I mean, it was a different time than it is right now. We do find ourselves in a different uh, environment. In, in 2023 than we were in, in in 2012, 2014, 2015. Yeah, right. 
So talk about the process of how it usually works. Let's just take a, a, the example of a, a property that has once had a, a an owner, an occupant, and uh, there were taxes being collected, but for whatever reason, that property became vacant. Uh, it became foreclosed. Now the county has taken possession of that, we suppose, uh, a, a property tax uh, a foreclosure. Now what happens? How does it get to you at the land bank? So that property tax foreclosure process is actually handled by the county treasurer's office. Mm-hmm. And, and that office does a lot of foreclosure prevention. So I do want to just put a plug out there for anybody that's in that that process right now. They should definitely contact the county treasurer's office okay. for assistance if, if they need that because there are a lot of foreclosure prevention programs out there and, and that office can can talk them through that. But if a property does go into foreclosure, the treasurer does do a property auction. And at the end of that auction process, if it remains unsold, it comes to the land bank. So during the housing crisis in 2010, 11, that time, a lot of properties were going through foreclosure. A lot of them uh, were not lived in and they were very blighted and they were coming to the land bank. So that's when a lot of our properties and our inventory was generated. Mm-hmm. More recently, foreclosure numbers have been down. We have not been receiving the same number of properties and we've been receiving fewer properties, which is good for our community. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's allowed us to take a pause and take a look at our inventory, which has changed over the years. Well, that's interesting that uh, the the overall challenges are, are different maybe than they were. Appreciate that thought, too, that nobody wants a property to go into foreclosure, right? So there are some safeguards in place to try to prevent that from happening. But, of course, they're not always successful. But that's a good point, that if someone is facing that, there are uh, programs and things to try to help stop that because nobody wants that somebody's out of a a place to live the property is uh, very likely going to fall into disrepair if nobody's taking care of it the neighborhood doesn't want to see that either everybody's affected by that around it as well and certainly no tax revenue coming from that so there's a lot of reasons why that would not be a a favorable choice so that's a really great point that uh, if that's happening to someone there are some resources out there potentially. So when you receive that property, it, it, so it goes to auction, doesn't sell. Now, as you said, it comes to the land bank. Is that just an automatic property transfer or do you have to pay a dollar or you know, how does that work? It's essentially automatic. The local unit gets a choice whether or not they want it. And if they don't want it, it comes to the land bank. And then what we do with that is we um, assess it to see if it could be rehabilitated, to see if it needs uh, you know, some type of intervention quickly, that kind of thing. And we have a great working relationship with our local municipalities. I would say uh, in response to your previous comment, we've all gotten smarter. We've all learned and we've all tried to work with our resources to make sure that there are safeguards or there are better ways of doing things. So one of the things that we've done at the land bank, we've created programs to try and help these properties get back on the tax roll and be rehabilitated when they get back on the tax roll. So if we have a house that comes to us, uh, we'll have it inspected by the city of Battle Creek's inspection office to get a list of the violations for code so that we can put it into our transform this home program where a private buyer can come and purchase that house with a rehabilitation plan and they have a year 
to rehabilitate that structure. We do give extensions if they run into something in the house, but they have an opportunity to go in with contractors, take a look at it. We review their rehab plan. If we think something's off, we'll talk about it with them. Um, so we really try and make them successful. And mm-hmm. we're really looking at what it takes to get a certificate of occupancy. You can worry about the pretty stuff after you get your certificate of occupancy. But what we want is for them to be successful and we want them to know what they're getting into. Yeah. So we want to make sure that you know they have some money to get it started, that they get clean title on that property, um, and that they have that information from the city so that they know, okay, this is what I need to do. And, and it's realistic. So we've changed the way that we sell properties too so that folks can be successful and they're not buying something that they don't, that they don't have the information for. Well, think about that. If you could redirect the path of a property that might be headed for a blight situation into someone's hands that isn't you <laughs> and, and they can take the ball and run, why wouldn't you want to do that? Boy, that seems like a great opportunity, but I'm sure there's a threshold, right? Uh, the condition of a property has to be uh, of a certain uh well, it has to be on the positive side somehow uh, so that that property is more easily handled by that buyer. I presume that after a certain point of disrepair, it's too late for that and you have to consider other options. Yeah, we. so what we typically do is we look to see if there's an intervention that we can do, maybe a roof or a foundation repair that might make that property successful. Uh-huh. And honestly, there's some there's some trial and error. There's no science. I mean, yes, we can pencil it out and see, but sometimes when you get into houses, you find things that, you know, were not apparent until you, you pulled the ball off or something, you know. We've tried to make it successful, and so that's why folks sometimes get extensions or, you know, there is a threshold though. And that's why we have the city go in and inspect and, and kind of help us. Like we usually have a pretty good understanding of what the building needs. Our property um, coordinator has a really good understanding, a solid background in rehabilitation, but we still want that that extra layer of just, okay, you know, inspectors come in and, and you know, let us see what you think if, if we think it's on the border. And uh-huh. sometimes we'll list it for a while to see if, you know, cause we've had contractors purchase our houses and rehabilitate them if they need a project. Um, so that's also a win. So we will list it for a while. And then if it doesn't sell, we might need to, to consider another option. And then there are houses that just take a while and we have to be patient until we can find the right funding to save it. We have a duplex that we've been working on for a long time. We didn't want to tear it down because it would cost a lot to build a mirror image duplex like that. It's um, close to downtown. It's walkable. And we've just tried to be patient because we knew that that housing unit, if we could get the funding to, to rehabilitate it, it would be a perfect place for, you know, a family, two families to live. We've had to be patient though. And, you know, we've had to go in and put money in. And I know it's been a little frustrating for folks in the area, but that money is finally becoming available. And it's in part because we've been working on these different components of housing and also redefining what blight means. It doesn't just mean go straight to demolition. It should mean stabilizing those units so that you don't have to do demolition. It should mean rehabilitating them so we can save those units. It should mean taking care of the environmental issues from abandonment properties. And it also should mean, you know, the vegetative blight of overgrown lots. And so 
that's what we believe at our land bank and the Michigan Association of Land Banks has been using that definition as well statewide and was successful at getting some money for the, through the state um, in 2021 and 2022 so that we can do those kinds of projects now, which is very different than the demo funding that had been coming down from the state yeah. pre-2020. So when the land bank owns the property or has possession of the property, there's no taxes being paid then either, is there? That's correct. Yeah. So it really is the in the best interest of everybody to get it rehabilitated, get it sold, and then uh, back on the positive books, as they say. Yes, that that's true. Um, you, sometimes, you know, you have to look at a property and say, not every property is going to get right back on the tax roll. So maybe there's an interim use. So by the Dairy Queen in Battle Creek on Cliff Street, we've got a selfie station and a little beautification going on there. We've got a couple of garden spots across the city. Um, we'd like to do some more beautification and cleanup activity because that does change the way the lot affects the surrounding area. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that we're working on right now, we have a grant from the Kellogg Foundation in the Washington Heights neighborhood. Um, and that's kind of the big switch we made in COVID. That was the, one of the projects that came online for us. And we have an advisory committee that's overseeing that work and that definition of blight that I just said with that expanded viewpoint is the definition that we came up with under that grant. And so that advisory committee is overseeing a land reuse strategy for the properties we own in the neighborhood. We own 250 properties in that neighborhood, which is oh, our wow. largest, yes, it's our largest concentration. So how should those properties be reused? Where should infill housing going go? If we do beautification, where does that make sense? And so we're really sitting down and having those conversations and getting that direct input from residents and business owners. And we'd like to do that in our other neighborhoods. We've done that work internally, but it's a lot more valuable if we have that community input. Yeah, I'm sure you hear from neighbors, right, uh, of properties that might be on your rolls who are concerned about what goes on there. It, it's close to their own properties, right? Absolutely. A little less now that we don't have as many structures. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that you and I both alluded to is that our inventory has changed. Um, so when the pandemic hit in 2020, we had just finished a rather substantial a blight elimination grant in the traditional sense of blight elimination, meaning demolition. Uh -huh. um, so what we have now are a substantial number of residential vacant lots, about 700. We have um, 40 commercial properties. Many of those are vacant. And we have about 20 um, industrial sites, post-industrial sites. Many of those are vacant, but some of them have buildings on them. So those commercial and industrial sites, they're a smaller number, but they have, if you will, bigger problems in some respects. So at that time, we really started looking at how can we repurpose these properties? How can we make them ready for development or make them um, a good asset for the neighbor who may want to purchase them and expand their yard through our side lot program? And we really started to think about those things at that same time. It's a good problem, I guess, to have when when the the crux of what you're doing changes, and, and I would say for the positive in the sense that you have a, a problem where you're trying to just eliminate structures that need to come down. Now it's a, a process that is different and just trying to uh, rehabilitate structures and sell lots that could be buildable, et cetera. So it seems like an improved 
a situation. I imagine you have a lot of partners, as you alluded, some of these properties need uh, attention for overgrowth and and uh, immediate intervention in terms of uh, certain situations that might need repair or attention at least, how do you get that assistance? Is it actually maintenance companies and builders and things that come and help you? How do you deal with all that? We have contractors that we've procured. Um, So we have a maintenance contractor that takes care of that boarding and securing and cleanup aspect for when those services are needed. We have Mm -hmm. mowing contractors who do uh, the site maintenance for lawn care and brush and, and branches and things like that. We're about to procure a new tree services contractor to take care of the tree situation. With those storms that keep coming through, that's right. become a bigger issue. So we do procurement of contractors for you know construction as well. They agree to give you a break, I assume, on the pricing. How does that work? No, it's uh, we procure them at cost. Yep. Pay we cost. pay everybody. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So just like any homeowner, <laughs> there are certain costs that are involved with upkeep of homes. Don't we all know it? Who are homeowners? This is no different. Yes. Talk about the funding a little bit. The The entire land bank situation is a grant funding situation, a state funding situation, a mix. How, how do you do it? In the state statute that authorizes land banks, um, we are allowed to sell properties and then we get 50% of the taxes on properties that we sell for five years, which sounds like a lot, but it's really very small amount, especially when you're selling vacant properties or houses that's, you know, we're selling our houses before they're rehabbed primarily, so they're not generating a lot. So that's been an issue for land banks for a long time. We're not bringing in the type of money that matches our inventory. So I've been very active at the state level in the Michigan Association of Land Banks on the funding piece. And I work on the policy committee. So we have been active over the course of the last two years, really advocating for funding, partly around the housing, but also around we just we can't demo our way out of these situations. You know, we need to be looking at stabilization. We need to be looking at rehabilitation so that we can be building assets in our community. We certainly go after grants, not just demolition grants. Our land bank has had two environmental protection agency grants to do brownfield work. So we are just wrapping up our second one and we've applied for a third. We've had a couple of rehab grants Really, any type of grant we can apply for, we do. We're very uh, creative. and um, It's what it calls for, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say aggressive, but, you know, we're just scrappy, right? We, we, we need to fund ourselves. And, and so we go out and we make partnerships and that's what we do. But more recently, in last fall, in 2021, the state passed a $21.5 million funding for land banks. And then in the appropriation in Public Act 1 of 2023, there was additional funding. That opens up a lot more opportunity for us and the work that we've already started. And so now it's thinking about how do we apply that to some of the more challenged sites in our inventory? And then how do we apply that to some of the work that we've already started? And we've really been looking at our ecosystem around housing and development and how do we support that. So our team had already been working on that. We've been working on housing since long before the pandemic. It just got interrupted by the pandemic. And of course, you know, there are challenges with construction costs and interest rates, but I said we're scrappy and we are, and we're just going to keep working on it until we 
figure out some of these things. We're interested in the data and we're interested in making sure that we're doing the right thing. But we know that making our sites ready for construction is one important component and that's already been in motion and we've been working on that for the past year and a half. So we're going to keep doing that and working with the communities to get their buy-in on those land reuse strategies is an important component because when the state releases funding and we say we'd like to put this application in and it's supported by the community, that makes that application a lot stronger. I'll bet. Here's my thought. What I've been hearing is we have a housing shortage in Calhoun County. Uh, All of a sudden, we have a 2,500-employee battery plant coming to Marshall, and uh, it appears that there is a renewed sense of urgency about trying to solve a housing problem for which there is a certain demand, but we expect there will be a greater demand. So what is the land bank's role in that? Can you raise your hand and say, hey, we've got a bunch of land over here that's buildable or uh, structures that are able to be remodeled? Come and get them. Is that what goes through your mind when you hear something like that? I'm a little more pragmatic about it. I am. (laughs) Sure you are, yeah. (laughs) So I'm going to go back to my ecosystem um, because we have been working on this for a while. And when we have a housing ecosystem that works for everyone, then it works for that blue oval plant, whoever might work there, right? Our ecosystem has construction-ready sites for that local developer, that larger developer, uh, the land bank perhaps to build attainable housing, which, you know, is affordable for people who live here right now. It's got those residential commercial developers, some of whom may be homegrown, so that wealth is generated and staying in our community. Mm-hmm. We've got home buyer education and counseling going on in our community for folks who maybe want to purchase a home but aren't quite able to right now. We don't have any HUD certified counselors. That's something that we're working on, getting a LISC AmeriCorps person to look at it at a county level because the land bank does serve the whole county. So You know, we're not just thinking about Battle Creek or Marshall or Albion. We're thinking about all those communities plus our villages and our townships. Mm -hmm. And then we're really thinking about expanded housing choices. We know we have a lot of single-family homes. We know we have a lot of old single-family homes. But what the data tells us is that people want, A, smaller homes. Um, They want choices. You know, some folks want small cottage homes, some people want duplexes, and we just don't have a lot of those. Mm -hmm. And then when you start to think about building those types of housing, then the zoning has to be right. And so then you got to go down that route. So we've we've been down that route in Albion, and they do have an updated master plan and, and zoning districts, but not everywhere is like that. So that was work that we were doing way back in 2018 when we were doing um, some small developers training. So as I said, we've been working on this for a while. And so we, we put a lot of thought into it and, you know, we're going to keep working on it and, and hopefully, you know, play an important role in creating housing, but making sure that it's housing for everybody. And then the last point in our ecosystem is workforce development. And that's really workforce development specific to contractors and developers. So we are working with LISC, which is Local Initiative Support Corporation, and then the Home Builders Association to do a kickoff meeting for contractors who are interested in maybe scaling up, getting that license, or you know, scaling up their business. And it's, it's geared towards the BIPOC community, but anybody that would be interested, they're going to host a 
a luncheon on April 14th at the Cole Family Center from 11 to 1. Um, because you asked earlier about procurement and, and right. getting contractors, you know, there there's, own, there's a handful of contractors in our community, and we know there's others that are working in that space that may be unlicensed. So, you know, that's another way to make sure when those houses are built that, you know, there's a job creation component for folks in our community to work in that industry. Boy, uh, I think what we've learned from all of that is there's lots of different pieces to this, and they all have to line up. So you're right. It is more pragmatic to look at it that way than just raise your hand and say, here they are, come and get them. But what you've really said is there's a role you can play in this whole housing solution that we're looking for in Calhoun County, right? Absolutely. I think it's a, a real opportunity for our community to think about the long-term, the longer uh, play to create some jobs, create something that's going to last mm-hmm. for lots of folks in our community. It's, it's, it's just a very interesting and exciting time for all yeah, of us. Right. Certainly is. So if folks have questions about what you do, the properties you have, the event in April that you referenced, uh, they can just reach out to your office. True. Absolutely. Um, we have a website that has our property listings on there. So CalhounLandBank.org. And then it's got all of our um, information on it. They can also call the office at 269-781-0777. We'd be happy to chat with anyone. All right. And uh, the link to your website will be in the show notes for this episode at BattleCreekPodcast.com. So if that flew by and you didn't get it, just have a look at BattleCreekPodcast.com and scroll down and you will find those uh, links. Krista, this has been enlightening and a certainly a reminder of some of the things we talked about in the past, but a, a great uh, discussion about how you've changed and evolved over the last few years. Let's stay in touch as uh, these opportunities continue, and if we can uh, offer uh, publicity for anything you're doing, just let us know. Absolutely. It was nice to chat with you again. Good to see you as well. Krista Trout Edwards with the Calhoun County Land Bank.